You can make, you know, multiple X's of what a long-term rental could make. And so for me, it was a no-brainer. I understood that, you know, uh, short-term rentals is not just a landlord-tenant relationship. Of course, it's a hospitality business. So you do need to take that into consideration. But I felt that short-term rentals had the ability to not only provide me uh, rental income, but provide me a, a great place to stay as well. And so we positioned our entire portfolio on you know, interesting places we may want to stay, properties that were cost-effective as well. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Rachel Gainsbrew. And today we're talking about short-term rental investing and her journey going from being a busy healthcare professional, struggling through real estate, through a couple strategies that didn't work out, and finally landing on short-term rental investing acquiring her first property and the skills, tactics, and strategies that have enabled her to scale her business up to 18 properties with more on the way, incredible cash flow coming in. And she has left the busy professional space doing great things in real estate investing and sharing. she's sharing a lot of lessons with us today, which I sincerely appreciate. She also has a show where not, maybe we're not supposed to talk about this. She also has a show on Netflix. So check that out as well. She's featured on a show on Netflix. Really incredible due to her success in short-term rental investing. Great. Very happy to have her on the show today. I'm your host, Taylor Vote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you're interested in learning more and potentially interested in investing with us on a future deal, go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show and you know someone else who would enjoy the show, please share the show with them. And don't forget to look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Rachel Gainsbrew. We're talking about short-term rental investing and her journey in that space. A lot of great stuff. If you're you have maybe limiting beliefs around your ability to scale, turn your real estate investments into a real passive business that can make great cash flow, then this is the one to listen to. Without any further ado, here we go. Rachel, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful to be here with you. And thank you for all the information and the effort and the time you put into this podcast. We all appreciate your work. Whoa, I appreciate you being here. And we've had a great conversation so far. I'm excited to get a recording for our listeners out there. For those out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about your background, where you came from in in the medical professional field, and what you do now investing in short-term rentals? Yeah, absolutely. So a little girl from Haiti grew up in, in the inner city of Miami. And I knew that education was definitely my way out, went on to excel in school, got my doctorate in pharmacy in particular. And so 
you know, started to practice. I was really excited about my profession. However, financial literacy was definitely a bottleneck for me, a roadblock because I was not really taught about finances because there weren't too much finances going on (laughs) growing up. But um, I've landed uh, a great job in Georgia, found myself in over half no, close to half a million dollars worth of student loan debt wow. with my husband and I, which was insane. And talk about a, a wake-up call. And so at that point, we were doing all the things. I you know, had delayed gratification for so many years. I'm like, I'm going to buy the house. I'm going to buy the car. And it just was a disaster, no joke. And so quickly we realized the lack of sustainability this, this would be to have all the big things while we had this crushing debt. And so we buckled down, sold everything off within a few years and just went all in on paying off the debt, worked multiple shifts at the hospital, picked up shifts here and there, moonlighted. And then finally we got rid of it. And so was grateful to do that, but we looked up and we're like, okay, now we have a little bit of money coming in. And then, um, you know, thankfully we did have a pretty large shovel Uh, But we wanted to know, how do we accelerate our savings? How do we start to save for college for kids and and do all of those things? And so the only investment strategy we really understood at that point was real estate. We didn't understand the Bitcoin that was, you know, kind (laughs) of coming to the scene. We wanted to, but we didn't quite understand it. But we're like, you know what? We can touch a house. We can feel a house. You know, it's real. It's real estate. So we went that route. And so initially just consumed hours and hours of podcasts for a year or two. And I wanted to find something that was really low barrier of entry to get in. I was like, just living on that frugality buzz. You know, it was like a, I swung to the other side, just completely frugal. So I wanted something that was going to be a lower barrier to entry, uh, not too much cost to start investing, and it wouldn't take too much time. So obviously wholesaling, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is the starting one that a lot of people start with, right? Yeah. Right. And I quickly realized um, before like going all in, I quickly realized, okay, I'm looking to get some of my time back because I spent years and years just grinding it out, missing out on kids and all the things. So I really wanted to get my time back. And immediately I realized the bill of goods I was sold on wholesaling being this easy cut your check situation was not exactly reality. And so I said, okay, I'm going to tick that off. That's not going to work. So let's look around to see what's, you know, another real estate strategy because we're all in on real estate. So I watched a lot of AG's TV. At the end of the 40 minute episode, you get a 50K, 60K check. So fix and flips. We'll be fixing flippers. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy enough. <laughs> yeah. So that uh, led us to actually um, a wholesaler reach out. We drove to Alabama from Georgia to take a quick peek at this property that was. Again, great price, $17,000. What can go wrong? Three-bedroom house. I was like, oh, this is going to be wonderful. Yeah, we get there. And let's just say the pictures didn't quite (laughs) reflect reality. (laughs) Of course, yeah. Where you have the little roof caving in, caulking coming from like dripping from the side. Just so frightening looking that my husband's going to knock on the door. He drove me because I'm the real estate girl, right? I'm the real estate person. 
And I'm like, get it back in the car. <laughs> Let's go. It's already a no. We're not it's, even going to dig don't into it. Even, and we had been speaking with the owner along the way. We're excited. We're going to do this deal. We're transacting. We get there. And it was like, holy smokes. And so, of course, this is in Alabama. The wholesaler's in New Jersey. And I'm calling him. Have you seen this house? My husband's like, just leave it. <laughs> and so... At that point, I had an aha moment on the drive back. And, and instead of being the We Buy Ugly Houses girl, which is where I was headed. So you know what? We buy pretty houses, you know, <laughs> because I'm going to need to do something a little bit more turnkey. Just I don't have the skill set to do the fix and flips. I don't have the time capital to do the wholesale and just being realistic about where I was in my life with a whole husband, two kids, three dogs, you know, wow. and all the responsibilities, there's no way I would be able to, you know, significantly and profitably project manage, you know, a fix and flip where I have no experience. And so we're actually thinking of throwing in the towel and just, you know, we're going to, we had like a little bit of credit card debt left. We're going to just buckle down and pay that off and just, you know, throw in the towel. Maybe in a few years, we're going to try again. And there was an alert on Zillow and ding, ding, ding. This house came on the market that was 0.2 miles away from our home, a market in an area that I was extremely familiar with uh, for about $100,000 under the value, the property value that I knew that it could demand. And so it turns out the owner, unfortunately, had passed away. He was an old guy. He lived there for a very long time. And the trustee lived out of state. And so just wanted to get rid of it. The realtor was not all that. It was the out-of-state realtor who wasn't very familiar with the area either, um, who happened to have, it, I think, North Carolina. So I had a North Carolina, Georgia license. And so, you know, when it came on the market, I was bid number seven. But unlike my previous bidders, if that's the word, I asked for nothing. I, I just knew this property was, you know, within almost walking distance from my property. And I had no contingencies, no nothing. I asked for nothing. This was back in 2019. We won the bid because we made it easy on the seller. You know, he just wanted to get rid of it. He didn't need that responsibility across, you know, state lines. And and we won the bid. So already I knew that the property looked like there were some roof issues. But what I loved about reading the book, Rental Property for Real Estate Investing in Rental Property, something like that. Brandon Turner wrote it, but Mm. it was... You know, I looked in that book, there was a table there and that table is a game changer. A uh, roof for that size property can cost anywhere from ten to $15,000. I said, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, that makes sense. And so instead of it being a mystery of like, oh, don't buy a house with a bad roof or don't buy a house with a bad plumbing, don't buy a house. As an investor, you have to kind of put on a different cap on and think to yourself, well, is it figure outable? Is it something that we can remediate? And what is the cost? And do we still have margin for it. And I had margin for it. And so I went, I went all in. The other individuals wanted the roof fixed and they wanted this and that and the other. I said, no, I'll, I'll buy it as is because I figured out that that property was worth $100,000 more than what they were selling it for. Nice. So where do you go from there to you know, turn that into a rental or how do you, how do you turn that into profit and you know start building your, your business up? Yeah, so I had been studying all of the different rental strategies, long-term rental. I knew that um, after getting that two or three hundred dollars a month for a year, it was going to take a really long time to get to financial freedom. So I said I didn't want to do that, but I felt something warm and fuzzy about 
being a buy and hold girl. So I love to buy and hold. And so for me, look at the numbers for short-term rentals. It it was such an eye-opener. I calculated that that property as compared to a long-term rental could make anywhere from three to five times the monthly revenue gross, you know? And so, and I looked around multiple markets and that was very consistent. You can make, you know, multiple X's of what a long-term rental could make. And so for me, it was a no-brainer. I understood that, you know, uh, short-term rentals is not just a landlord-tenant relationship. Of course, it's a hospitality business. So you do need to take that into consideration. But I felt that short-term rentals had the ability to not only provide me uh, rental income, but provide me a, a great place to stay as well. And so we positioned our entire portfolio on you know, interesting places we may want to stay, finding properties that were cost-effective as well, uh, and then going all in and designing the property so that we could stand out from the crowd. So we focus primarily on luxury. Uh, anything that we can uh, position into a luxury experience is going to place us more in the blue ocean instead of the red ocean where it's everyone's like a feeding frenzy. And we kind of set ourselves apart. So I'm proud to say that we're at the top of our markets and all of the markets that we operate in. Awesome. That's great. I'm bringing to mind uh, someone I had a conversation with recently who's, I'm here in Virginia. They were thinking about doing this type of strategy uh, in Williamsburg for for Bush Gardens. They love going there. So maybe I'll send <laughs> this episode to him and uh, have him tune in. But okay, so taking, you, you had this vision, but in a nuts and bolts sense, you know, getting the business in place, getting Air, the Airbnb spun up. Do you even use Airbnb? What did that process look like to actually fix the place up, fix the roof, and then, you know, get the business running so you could move on to number two through, you know, the teens? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're starting off your business, oftentimes there are a lot of challenges. I, I say that I'm the cleaning lady and the CEO, right? Simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of that in the very beginning. But the great part about it is I understood what the business needed to be successful because I was so very hands-on. So the initial listing that we put up, we actually... Uh, we're able to source furnishings from estate sales that were happening in uh, the area in a little bit of the higher end area because we did want to provide that higher end experience. And uh, there are actually auctions that new construction builders will run auctions for those model homes that they have in the you know the front one or two model homes. After that entire wow. neighborhood is built out, they auction off all of the furnishings. And that's something that I learned about. And that's probably happening all over the US. So definitely. And those homes are modern. They they really design them really well because they're trying to sell. So I, I leverage some of those resources. So I would say for the most part, we did not buy market rate for our furnishings. We were able to find some good deals on furnishings and we went there and uh, we, we started our listing. And what's great about Airbnb, love it or hate it, it's very easy to put up a listing. But I do remember as I was setting it up and designing and judging up the place, I had this weird feeling of dread and I wondered to myself, well, what if no one rents this property? What if Uh-oh. no one rents it? What I know. If? Right. Right. So that whole mindset situation. <laughs> and then I had to, you know, tell Betty, cause I named her Betty. She's like the girl who 
tells me how everything is going to go wrong. Like in the back of my head. <laughs> okay, personified. Nice. All right. Mm-hmm. I say, Betty, we already did the math. I'm a spreadsheets girl. If it doesn't rent as a short-term rental, remember, we can rent it as a long-term rental. And so the mortgage was $1,300, $1,400-ish at that point. As a long-term rental, I can get market rents for about $1,500, $1,600 uh, in 2019 in that particular area. So I, I should be okay, Betty. So chill. But if it doesn't rent as a long-term rental, I can sell it because I had equity in the property. So Betty had to go and relax. And I said, Betty, I appreciate your concern because I know you're trying to keep me safe, but we've already covered it. So we're good to go. And so listed it that night, it got booked. Nice. And the rest was history. We're like, wow, this, is this legal? Like this is insane. (laughs) So definitely a great experience there. And so within that year, we looked around, you know, we generated some savings and we utilized another 10% down loan, which is a second home vacation rental loan. Since we're W-2ers, we had that, you know, at our disposal. So we we leveraged another 10% down loan. Uh, this was a different type of property. We set that one up as well. That one needed a little bit more work, not a roof or anything, but it was a larger home. It required about $30,000 to, you know, get it ready for a luxury feel. It was on two and a half acres on a lot near a lake and not too far away either. So was really excited about this property. And the long-term renter was paying $1,800 a month in that home. And I really felt I had a good feeling about this home because I thought to myself, since it was kind of a larger home, two family, a whole guest suite, I could generate anywhere from seven to $8,000 a month for that home. Whoa. Whereas the other property were generating five and six K on, on that on a monthly basis. And that's when we went ahead and um we got the second home. And so I remember that night that the the dynamic pricing tool, I use a dynamic pricing tool that has AI in it to price all the properties in the area, identify the occupancy and the vacancies to give me that nightly rate. I had set up that property and that's part of my SOP, my processes. And as I'm going along with this second home, I'm actually recording everything that I'm doing because one day I said, I need to hand this off to someone else so that I could stop working in my business uh, and then can work on my business because at that point I wanted to do more acquisitions. So I set up the dynamic pricing tool. I connected it to um, the listing and the AI, you have to kind of train it that first time. And so it spit out a crazy number to me. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this thing is crazy because I set it out for uh, a 30 night minimum. So a monthly stay as I was still sourcing my team uh, because I like to do just a two night minimum. That's where we generate the most revenue. So bigger home, I was sourcing more cleaners and to have a backup plan. I said for the first month, I'll do it for a 30 night minimum as I get everyone ramped up. Uh, for that 30 nights, the dynamic pricing tool uh, listed the property for $28,000 for that month. I know. It's <laughs> like, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this thing is crazy. Let me turn it off. And then it got booked before Whoa. I turned it off. I know. It was insane. And then the next month, it got booked for $15,000. And then the next month, $21,000. And then $22,000. And that was the home uh, that... Uh, Netflix reached out to us about because the back end numbers were absolutely insane. And so at that point, in my mind, you know, 
I was thinking, wow, this home could really generate 8,000, but that would be a stretch. And then would I dare ever place it on the listing for 10,000 a month? I mean, that's my mind could not even compute that. Like who pays 10,000 a month for accommodation? Not (laughs) Not me either. Not me. The little girl from Haiti. Hello. Not me either. But the algorithm, the dynamic pricing tool with no prejudice, with no preconceived notions, with no hangups, placed it for 28K. And so it really took me aback. I, at that point, I just took a step back and asked myself, like, where else in my life am I living small? Where else am I letting my preconceived notions just limit my ability to move forward? And so that was a game changer for me. I was like, this is incredible. And so absolutely love short-term rentals and we continue to acquire more and more throughout. Nice. So you mentioned SOPs, building teams and all those things. And you know, I'm sure we're going to run out of time before we get to everything, but, mm-hmm. and you went from working in the business to on the business, made that decision consciously. But mm-hmm. you know, what did that process look like? Bringing somebody online. We were talking earlier about your executive assistant and you have yeah. people overseas and all those things. Walk us through the process of, you know, building that team so you could work on the business instead of in yeah. it. So what I found that works great, honestly, is um, finding team members that are recommended by others, to be honest. So I have used different staffing agencies. I've, I've kissed several frogs. And so <laughs> you win some, you lose some. But first, before I wanted to onboard someone, I had to have a few things in place. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I made initially was when I finally got some help. Typically, you get help when it's like, too late. (laughs) What I mean by too late is you're just completely overwhelmed and you're like, okay, now let me get help. And so when uh, I got help for the first time, I remember telling this individual, okay, great. You're here. Here's everything. It's like verbal, just just everything. And they're like, hello? (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to do? And so just really coming up with a plan, whether it's a 30-day plan here at the top three things that if we can accomplish it in 30 days, you know, that's a huge win. And then a 60 day without showing it to them initially, just having it kind of not to overwhelm. And so that's something that I've learned along the way to be conscientious about. So I use like a screen recording tool like Loom and I just kind of talk through my processes. Okay, this is how I adjust my prices for high season. This is how I respond to a guest when uh, they're asking about pets. And this is how I update a listing uh, that's brand new. And so I'm speaking uh, as I'm going through my day doing these types of tasks, especially when I'm on the computer screen. And within months, I had about 40, 50 videos you know, they weren't perfect, but they were my training videos. And I start there. And when you start to add on a team members who are skilled, who are great team members, they actually improved upon my videos for me. And believe it or not, if you go to certain apps, you can actually specifically find uh, Airbnb previous employees and they do a better job than I do. They can get their our resolutions resolved quicker than I can, which is 
what I'm looking to leverage. I'm, I'm, I want to be very strategic. So I'm leveraging those individuals with a, a whole lot more experience in whatever skill set it is that I need them to be experienced in. So having the SOPs in place so that you're not running into having to explain the same thing over and over again, as soon as you've done it twice, I think you can create an SOP for it. Anything that you've done twice, you can create SOP for it because if you're going to do it again and again and again, and if it's not something that you totally enjoy and that lights you up, find a way to hand it off to someone, delegate it to someone if it's something that's necessary for your business. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. And I just wonder about, I'm thinking about the listener out there who thinks, man, she must have known to do this naturally. Does this come to her naturally? I want to get to the listeners potentially limiting belief around, man, I don't know about writing an SOP and hiring somebody. I don't know about doing any of this. I don't have experience doing this. Does this come to you naturally? Has there been a, a development process for you along the way as far as, you know, being a business owner instead of, you know, buying yourself a new job, right? Yeah, no, it didn't come to me naturally. Um, as a matter of fact, being in healthcare, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And so I fight with myself if something's not done correctly, because it's not perfect. Something's not done correctly. And I, my knee jerk reaction is like, oh, let me just fix it myself. And then, because it's going to be quicker, right? But then I rob my team of learning from a mistake or from an issue and learning how to navigate or problem solve or remediate it themselves. And so that's, that's something that I still struggle with. So it doesn't come naturally, but it's something that is paying me dividends. So I still want to continue on that path of learning how to be a master de delegator and learning how to be an effective leader and learning how to communicate effectively with my team. And so I remember one day when I was at my tipping point, you know, like you said, I was looking to cut back on my W-2, you know, but I didn't want to quit my nine to five so that I could work 24 hours a day either. Right. And so I created a list. I started to make a list of all the things that I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And that list was quite long. And so I lumped them up together into this is a, a skill set that a virtual assistant would be able to help with these 15 things. And at that point, I, I hired my first part-time virtual assistant uh, for just a couple of hours a week because I was afraid of not knowing, well, I don't want to hire someone full-time and then I can't afford to continue to pay them, right? Because you're starting off. So a couple of hours a week, you start off with a few hours a week, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month. And that right there gave me so much breathing room. I realized the world is my oyster. If I can put the right people on the right seat on the bus and we're all going in the right direction, oh my goodness, uh, how much better would I be? And so I started to buy back my time. Um, I had some great ones. I had some not so great ones. We still navigate some um, time zone issues that, you know, but, you know, I figure out my way around this. So the my right-hand woman, the person that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis that I need to be either in Slack with me all day while I'm on the clock, she actually lives in my time zone and, you know, but everyone else, um, if we can give them their assignments early on, they're able to, you know, execute in a timely manner. And then we were more and more in sync. And so, and a lot of these lessons I, I learned end of last year, a lot of them I learned two months ago, and I'm still 
a work in progress. It is not a well-oiled machine yet, but um, we're making progress every week. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think a lot of people in, in real estate investing, entrepreneurship generally, it and, this, and myself included, it doesn't quote unquote come to us naturally. We have to learn and stumble and make mistakes and grow and, you know, start with, with one. I, I started much like you of writing down what are the things that I'm doing that it would make my life a lot easier or I'd have less headaches or I'd have more time available if I could just give them to somebody else. And that's what I did. And that helped so much. And I think I, I initially maybe had that limiting belief myself. So I wanted to help, help our, our listeners, you know, get over that a little bit, but right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Rachel, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? Yep. Great. First (laughs) one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Oh, I love that. So there's a lot of land that I purchased in 2020. I'm so excited about this because I believe that everything's figureoutable. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier that I, I love the luxury space and there's a market that I had my eye on, but there was no way as a struggling pharmacist, just getting out of student loans, would I be able to afford to invest in that market? And that's the Rosemayer Beach, Florida market. And so this market, the homes are like $10 million, $20 million, just insane. But I wanted to be in that market. I'm like, a girl can dream, okay? <laughs> and I kid you not, um, there was a, a lot of land, a plot of land that was in a subdivision, very short-term rental friendly, um, tourist friendly, that went on sale for 110 k and um, I purchased it. I was so excited about this. Everyone in my inner circle was saying, 110K for land, that's ridiculous. And I kid you not, this was in 2028. I've been offered just so many dollars for the lot of land that we're <laughs> building on. And so I, I drew up plans with an engineer all in after we build, we'll be in about 650K on this plot of land. And I've been offered 1.6 million. <laughs> which is insane. And so I'm super, super excited. I think that's my best investment ever. And so I'm looking forward to maybe buying another one. I want to buy the neighbor's <laughs> lot if he doesn't sell it. But the lots alone are now selling for like 400K. Wow. Yeah, which is insane. So that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment I ever made was actually in one of the properties that we purchased. Turns out this particular property was in an area that had something called an optional HOA, which I didn't know Hmm. too much about. So I thought you either have an HOA or you don't, but there was an optional HOA. And so we're doing our short-term rentals, you know, monitoring them very closely. But the HOA board determined uh, at that point, no, 
They don't want any short-term rentals uh, in that particular area. And so unfortunately, and this is a home that I really loved, really nice home, but unfortunately we had to sell it prematurely. And um, yeah, and, and that was, it was pretty tragic, but the worst part of it is that we had some back taxes that we're in the process of paying off. And instead of coming, leaving the table with, I was expecting about 30 or 40 grand. I left negative $4,000. Oh, ouch. I know. I'm still like, I still shudder at night. About <laughs> yeah. To be fair, negative 4,000 is not horrible, but you were expecting to be positive. But it By $40,000. Wow. I did not know optional HOAs existed. It doesn't sound yeah. all that optional, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? My most important lesson, honestly, is proximity is power. Really, if you align yourself with the right people who have the right mindset, who have great hearts and who have um, the right knowledge, who are where you want to be on your investment journey or on your life journey, whether it's, you know, great parents, you know, or great investors or great educators, whoever is that role model for you in that aspect of your life, draw a little closer to them. Find those people and, and just draw a little closer to them because proximity to those individuals will help you definitely operate at a higher level than where you are right now. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, if they want to find the Netflix show, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that <laughs> or anything like that, where can they track you down? Sure. If you go to rachelbnb.com, that's R-A-C-H-E-L, B as in boy, N, B as in boy.com, uh, you'll be routed to my free Facebook group where I do a little teaching on luxury short-term rentals on a weekly basis. And I share the information that I've learned. Awesome. I love it. That's a, that's a great URL. I want to thank you once again for joining us today. Well, to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.